I apologize because I don't have a PowerPoint this morning, but um, hopefully you'll be able to follow along. And usually I like to have a PowerPoint because then you have something to look at and you don't have to look at just me. And uh, I always say that you don't have a face for radio. But turn if you would, uh, 1 Corinthians, we're, we're in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, and uh, I'll be reading out of the New King James, and it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that, they, um, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that we can read it and understand it. Thank you for the lessons. And as we think about even this given to the Corinthians, how it applies to our lives even today. And I pray that you would help us to remember these truths, help us to apply them to our lives, and help us not to repeat the same mistakes that others have, um, ha that have occurred in their lives. So we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, the title of the message, message is, We Must Learn from the Past Examples of God's People. Pretty simple. We must learn from the past examples of God's people. Um, if you think about your parents, if you grew up in a home with uh, two parents, and sometimes they share their background or the lessons, because each parent, you know you've reached an age when you say, back when I was your age or back when I was young, you know, you're like, oh no, I've arrived there, I've become my parents, right? But you usually speak some truth, nugget of truth, or share with them, you know, okay, maybe something simple like, okay, if you have a wheelbarrow, you put all the weight in the front over the front wheel, not near the back. Or, you know, a wagon, how you load things. If you grew up in a rural area, you know, there are certain things. Early to bed, um, early to rise, does what? Makes man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right. It's a proverb. If in, the, in the evenings, we're going through proverbs, and, I'd, and sometimes we have proverbs. But there are many of these sayings that people have, um, even uh, young people. And sometimes we don't know why we do things. We just do things because our parents did them or others did them. There's a woman who, who had always, um, when she cooked a ham, she cut off the end and uh, put it in the pan and baked it. And finally, um, someone, a guest had asked, well, why do you do that? Well, she goes, I don't know. My mother always did it. Well, she called her mom and said, hey, mom, you know how when we cook a ham, you know, you always cut off the end and then um, you bake it and, you know, you, you put all of the honey and different flavors on. Why do, you do, why do you always cut off the end? She goes, well, I don't know. Let me call my mom. And so she calls her mom, 92-year-old woman, and she says, mom, why did we always cut off the end of the ham um, 
before we cooked it and did it. She goes, well, um, at that time, I only had a pan that was nine inches, and it never fit in. So I always had to cut off that end, and so therefore it fit in there. But, you know, things are past good things. Sometimes we don't know why it's passed on, but also sometimes mistakes. And so we're prone to repeat those mistakes if we're not aware of them. And Paul has been addressing in chapters 8 and 9 these issues of self-discipline. And now he draws upon the Old Testament example of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And Moses, who led a people through the wilderness, and he was chosen by God. Yet the nation of Israel, these people, they were disobedient and rebellious in their hearts. And what occurs is we see is that they died in the wilderness. But as we go through a few points, um, we have, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see the lesson is that Followers of Christ must demonstrate obedience in their lives. Followers of Christ must demonstrate obedience in their lives. It's an important lesson because believers have freedom to choose their personal path of how they live out um, their Christianity or live as a Christian, if you think about it. Especially in the U.S., you have freedoms on on how you express or how you live out uh, your life as a Christian. There's not only one correct way or one designed method in how a Christian ought to live. You know, sometimes in churches, it's like, okay, you know, if you dress this way, if you sing this song, if you do this, if you go here, if you obey in every way, then you are a Christian, or you look like a Christian. But biblically speaking, as we see here, these truths, it's important to understand that um, you are to follow Christ, an example of that, and in verse Verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And here, if you think about it, Paul is speaking to mostly Gentile believers. So fathers here is not uh, as far as genetically, they weren't mostly Jewish. This is Gentile believers. And Understanding is, why does he say our fathers? And I believe that Paul is referring to this, if you will, spiritual parenthood. His emphasis is upon their faith and obedience in trusting after God. And it says, baptized into Moses. Literally identified with the faith of Moses. If you hold your spot um, and go to Hebrews 11.29. Hebrews 11.29. Here in chapter 11, and especially starting in verse 23, it talks about the faith of Moses. We call chapter 11 the hall of heroes, or those who demonstrated great faith. But in Hebrews 11.29, it says, They crossed the Red Sea, and by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. Here, by their obedience, and I can't imagine, I mean, thinking about when you're confronted with an army behind you and you're at the sea, and then all of a sudden it raises up and says, okay, go through. You know, it doesn't tell us who was the first one. Maybe you're like that pioneer spirit, you know, you're like, hey, you know, I'll do anything. I'll go through. But here, Moses is with his staff, you know, and guess what? You know, holding it back, and we see the pictures of it. Maybe, um, I think it was, what was it, Ben-Hur? 
you know, you go back and has the stories of different ones in the Old Testament or Moses. Charlton Heston, this is really dating me. But um, anyway, going back, some of you who know Charlton Heston in the movies and says, oh, yeah, I think he's the one who played Moses. And you have those videography and going through crossing the Red Sea. I saw old movies. My parents like to watch old movies. But as we picture that, going through, it requires faith. You know, you have waters on both sides. It's even as you ever have tried to cross a stream or a river. You're aware of, okay, at any moment, you know, you could, the current could take you down. But as you're passing through, looking at high water on both sides, now God stopped that. It requires a level of faith, but it wasn't just someone chose to do that. Here God tells Moses, have the nation pass through these waters. And so they do so and obey. And it even is a record of Moses' faith as leader to do that. And our fathers, as as going back to 1 Corinthians, understanding they crossed the Red Sea, and it was through the faith even as Moses, who's the one who's attributed that. But it was a corporate obedience, and they followed Moses, who was a, if you will, a type of Christ. Um, Jesus, who was their deliverer as they passed through. And they all pro- enjoyed the protection and guidance. Even as we, you, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, one, uh, chapter 10, It talks about they were all under the cloud, that protection and guidance of the presence of God. It talks about in Ezekiel 13, 21. All experienced the redemptive act of God that brought them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. And that's a story that many are familiar with. They were delivered. They were brought through. They experienced the salvation of the Lord coming out as slaves, and then they came in the wilderness. And what did they do? They were led by that pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, they con- confronted with the Red Sea, and they have no options. And then they obedient, obediently pass through, and then they're in the wilderness. And they see that um, salvation, that deliverance, which is of God, that supernatural act. Now, we don't experience that in the same way today, but we have that as a record of truth and to believe that. And then the cloud baptism, it talks about, gives them the identity. We believe that baptism is a... A representation is identification with Christ. When a person go, engages in believer's baptism, after they've confessed and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they make a decision to follow after Christ. And they are identified with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The identity is no longer theirs. It is in Christ. And that cloud baptism where it talks about the identity in the supernatural God who leads and protects them. They were now the children of, of God. Even as we think about Hebrews, as it talks about for Abraham, you know, the first time, that is his chosen name for them. And the Red Sea baptism gave them their identification that they're no longer slaves, but recipients of God's grace, favor, and deliverance. Kind of like God doesn't just do that for everyone. They are favored. They receive grace. How many of you are the youngest in your family of, many, of more than two siblings, or more than one sibling, the youngest, okay? If you're the youngest, and most people in studies have shown this, you are the spoiled favorite child. It just happens, you know, and you know that. But um, what often occurs is, um, you know, they are favored, and they're looked at, and they're given things that, um, you know, the other siblings say, wait a second, how come I, that never occurred for me. No, it was all rough and tough, and you know, they, they were never kind to us. It's like, the oldest child thinks that, you know, they had the toughest life. But understanding is the favor of the younger ones sometimes is looked upon. 
Uh, we saw it with Benjamin and even Joseph. But, but what occurs is that favor of being the, the people of God. They were protected. And even though they went through difficult things, God had a plan and purpose for them. And it's important to understand that identification with them because there's some people who reject identification with God, but identification with Christ. And that's why water baptism, that understanding is that you are identified with Christ, his death, his resurrection. And to follow after the act of water baptism is an act of obedience. It's not a choice. It is an important part because the Bible says that, um, you know, call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And then also, you know, to be baptized. And it is a, an act of immediate obedience that they understand. And while it's a little different during the first century, th those times, oftentimes it occurred then, there was more significance and meaning at that time because there was a greater loss to be identified with the way or the followers of Christ, to forsake Judaism or to forsake any other thing. They, they could lose their jobs. So it's a little different in today's society, but it's nonetheless, it is still important to follow after Christ and be identified with him. And I dare say that it is a valuable part of the Christian life because you, your identity is more in Christ than in yourself. And that gives you purpose and understanding of who you are. But not only were the followers of Christ, they must demonstrate obedience in their lives, they must also understand that not all who obey God are pleasing God. Look at verse 3 and 5. Not all who obey God are pleasing God. It says, All ate the same spiritual food, all ate the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Here you have, and, and when it uses that spiritual food, spiritual drink, sometimes we think it's, oh, it's a mystical. It was, it was special. It was something about that. But the emphasis there is not referring to like some type of brand name or especially, oh, energy drink like Prime, Red Bull, Gatorade, or some special food like, oh, Cliff Bar and Keto. You know, there's these diets. Oh, if you follow the Old Testament diet, then that's good. But it's not like that when it talks about spiritual food. Uh, what it refers to, understanding, is that, and it's not mystical nature. Sometimes there, there are those who believe like the, the cup and the bread. There's some mystical union bond. There are those Lutherans and different ones who, who believe that there's some connection that you have with God. It does not give you any grace. It is seen as more of in remembrance of me that uh, the Bible talks about. But when it talks about the fact that here, they all ate the same spiritual food. They drank of the same spiritual drink. Um, it, is, it is not referring to something immaterial. Spiritual simply means, refers to that which is provided or, or given from the Spirit of God. You know, if you hold your, um, in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 14, um, keeping in the same book for context, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, It says, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And understanding is that 
that which is from God and of God. And those who are spiritual people have the spirit of God within them. At the moment of salvation, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when a person places their faith and trust in Christ. And to be able to have that discernment. But not all who obey God are pleasing God. And just because you take part in spiritual food and drink, it does not make you spiritual. Just because, as even we heard in the testimony, you're born in a Christian family or go to a church or behave like a Christian, it does not make you a spiritual person. Just like the Israelites saw the miraculous acts of a mighty God, yet quickly they turned away and started serving this golden calf. In later generations, they served idols. And sometimes we look at that wonder, how could they do that? I mean, they saw the miraculous works of God. They saw the cloud and the smoke. But Ezekiel, 30, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Understanding, as we talked about that verse, spiritual things, to be able to have the spirit of God to recognize spiritual things that are of God. And a person who does not have the Spirit of God cannot recognize those things that are from God. And, and they, they don't even understand the discernment of how to live a godly life. Powerful words that come from God. And if you think about it, sadly, even a heart transplant from a 21-year-old will not make a 65-year-old person young again. It cannot reverse the negative effects of poor genes, years of smoking, and hard living. It will allow the body to function more effectively because the tissue is receiving life-giving blood, but that person will not automatically become a young athlete. Only a spiritual heart transplant can, can transform a person who is a sinner damaged by sin and guilt and give them the gift of future eternal life. And through salvation, they can possess the deliverance from the penalty of their sins and obtain a new identity in Christ. And that is a spiritual transformation. It talks about, beloved, you know, anyone who is in Christ, they are a new creation. I know the old King James talks about a new creature. Well, it simply it means that you've been renewed, you've been transformed. It always gives that picture of a butterfly, you know. You have the chrysalis and breaking free, and all of a sudden that caterpillar becomes a something very different, a butterfly. And as a Christian, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, different. You have a different destination. You have different motivations. And you understand that your life is no longer identified in the person that you were or the, the sin or you are not connected with all that you, has been done in the past. That is the beautiful thing about uh, being a child of God is that he remembers your sin. He doesn't hold them against you. And you possess a new future because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you have a new relationship because part of it is you have a new destination. You're no longer living for self. You are headed a different direction. And those others who are, who are trying to please themselves in the, in the example that they give, the Israelites, you know, they were still thinking of life in the past. And they weren't trying to, while they were going along through the motions, they were um, obedient, if you will, but we see that there were other heart issues that they had. And so just because they were obeying doesn't mean that they were pleasing God. And we see that in the next point is number three, 
Our heart's motivations are as important as our actions. Our heart's motivations are as important as our actions. Verse 6 through 11, it says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. As we look at what occurs, people have permitted themselves to give in to their selfish cravings and sinful lusts. James 1, uh, 13 and 15, it says, let me just read that for you. James 1, 13 and 15. And let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. As we look at these cravings or these uh, um, lusts that have it, there are four that are mentioned here. The first one we see under heart's motivations and these lusts that have been committed by the Israelites, the first one is idolatry. And I've kind of renamed that as unrestrained excess. Because as we think about the evidence, it wasn't just simply idolatry. What occurs here, he says, Paul says, they sat, um, they sat down to eat drink, rose up to play. Now we think, oh, that's very innocent. Rose up to play. Okay, children, get up. Go ahead. You can go play. Now you ate your dinner. That's not what it refers to. In Exodus 32, 1 through 6, it wasn't the, not only the act of bowing down to the calf that was wrong, but the unrestrained activities that the people engaged in. They were feasting, drinking, and playing, and literally that word refers to having no inhibitions. It, it makes me think, as a text, they're engaging in a pagan style or methodology of worship. Now, it includes an unrestrained activity of perversity and anything-goes mentality. That pagan influences of festivities included sexual rituals, cutting themselves, engorging in food and drink. Think of environments like the college sorority parties or corporate parties in which there's an abundance of alcohol, lowered inhibitions, and a Vegas-style mentality. What occurs is it becomes anything goes and they don't think about the consequences. And some Christians, especially those who grew up conservative, have wished for experiences of the party life. You know, and they say that I can do anything because I have individual soul liberty. But there's no value nor benefit in desiring or participating in worldly and fleshly lifestyles. It only leads to regrets. That unrestrained excess. Also, as Paul mentions here, is the sexual liberty or the Im sexual immorality. And within the Corinthian background of competitiveness and always seeking the upper status. Remember, they're always, you know, they're looking for the new knowledge. They're looking to be wise. They were always competing. You know, I follow after Christ. Well, I follow after Paul. Well, I follow after Apollos. There was just that mentality within the church. And there was an arrogance. And 
Our present society is also known for pushing no limitations in sexual boundaries or activities regardless of age or background. However, there are consequences for our sinful actions. In Numbers 25, 1 through 9, it says, And Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his man who were joined to the Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel in the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman threw her body, so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. There was a great and grievous sin that was committed um, among them. And we might say, oh, that is so harsh. How could they do that? And it's an important to understand that sexual immorality, the joining together of two to become one, the sacredness of both the marriage, but also the understanding that in Christ, there is a, if you will, I can use the human term jealousy to follow after God. If you think about it, even the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me and no graven images. To understand God will not share his glory, God will not share his worship. And what often occurs in our own lives is that we, are, we follow after other things that draw our hearts. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's children, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's entertainment, our possessions. And it should be a reminder to us that, first of all, God is first, preeminent, to follow after him. And it's important. And, and as we see here, even in just one note is there's a discrepancy. You say, hey, that says 24, that says 23. I don't know. There's probably maybe a discrepancy in counting. It could have been 23, 500 counting methods. But I believe that that's not the important part. What happens is Moses may focus on the whole total while Paul emphasizes the consequences of what occurred in a single day. Because where it says that uh, some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell. But the emphasis there is understanding rose up to eat, drink, and play in these individuals committing sexual immorality. And there's a consequence for that. And the sacredness and understanding of who we are to follow after. Third thing we see here is that selfish arrogance, that testing of the Lord in Numbers 21, 4 and 5. Paul is implying that this is already occurring in the Corinthians. The Israelites had questioned God and Moses. And in Numbers 21, 4 and 5, just to read that quick, Numbers 21, 4 and 5, it states and says, it states, uh, when they had journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke 
against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. You know, testing the Lord. And here the testing is the complaining directly to God. They were questioning his plan, his purpose. They are questioning the, his leadership. They put God to the test by making demands upon God and were impatient with his plan and selfishly wanted something different. Oh, we have to eat this bread. While it provides for us, we're tired of it. Now, that's hard because in the U.S. we like variety. We do like variety. If you had to eat just beans and rice or potatoes all the time, you'd be like, man, I'm bored of it. I would get bored of it. You know, manna, what is it? You know, but what they did is they went directly to God and they questioned him. And what occurred is they spoke against God and his leadership and tried to manipulate God by questioning his plan and provision for them. They had seen God answer their conditional prayer by defeating the Canaanites earlier um, in chapter 20 of how God had provided miraculously for them. And conditional was, God, if you provide, if you deliver them into our hands, we will burn and destroy all these cities. And guess what? God did this. And now all of a sudden, they commit these atrocities. And selfishly, the problem we see here is that they had seen God answer that conditional prayer. And this wasn't just because believers that have questions about God's plan for their lives. There's nothing wrong. Sometimes we say, God, why is this occurring? It wasn't just questioning God's plan for their life, but this was a direct, um, if you will, a confrontation of questioning who God is. And the consequences of the Israelites were swift and deserved. Paul also reminds the Corinthians in chapter 119 that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise because of being proud and haughty. And that is where it is their heart's motivation is that they were proud in themselves thinking that they knew better than God. So positionally in their arrogance, and by testing the Lord. And then we see also, which is very almost similar, is the complaining. In the complaining, the testing, we see what is taking place. They're questioning God and Moses. But the complaining, this is not referring to like petty complaints. Man, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I like to complain sometimes in my household. Someone leaves the door open, you know, it's like, okay, who takes the last roll of toilet paper? Why don't you replace it? Or why don't you do this? You know, it's just like, don't other people live here and care about, you know, here's a little piece of trash on the floor. Pick it up. You know, just little things. Okay, I'm a little OC about certain things, I'll be honest. But what often happens as we think about life, you know, we complain about things. The book of, of Psalms, there is a lot of crying out to the Lord. And I used to think that complaining was wrong, um, while it can be. But when we cry out to God, because all of us, humanly speaking, we're complainers. We just complain about different things. You know, I was complaining about, you know, how did the Diamondbacks allow the Texas Rangers to win in that game when they're up by two? I was a little more hopeful last night when they had more points. But, you know, I was complaining because I was with someone and this one couple um, were in a restaurant and they had all Texas Rangers out um, clothing on. I was like, oh, man, you know, sure, wear it when they win. Let's see you wear it when they lose. But we can always pick something to complain about. But here, the complaining that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians is expressed, if you look at chapter 10, it says, nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by their destroyer. This isn't just complaining like, oh, the food tastes bad. What they were doing is 
They were complaining by misrepresenting God and his actions toward his people. They quickly forgot what they had come out of and viewed their hardships as too heavy a burdens and trials and that God was not going to fulfill his plan but leave them to die in the wilderness. See, their theological understanding of God was beyond flawed and constant complaining undermined the past and present truths of a covenant-keeping God. When God says that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He will fulfill it. Now, that doesn't give um, you an excuse in your relationship. Like, for example, sometimes husbands and wives. You know, there's a wife who went to her husband and said, Honey, how come you don't say you love me? And the husband said, Well, didn't I say that I loved you when we got married? If anything changes, I'll let you know. You know, they, sometimes they need to hear things over again and again. But here, the theological covenant-keeping God, they were questioning, they were complaining to God and when we can look back, we can look back and fault Israel for their sinful errors in the face of tremendous, miraculous. What often happens, humanly speaking, is that we complain and quickly doubt God's goodness and question God when we're faced with difficult circumstances. Think about how quickly we can turn from God. We can be, you know, all right, praise the Lord. God answered this prayer he gave me. You know, he answered prayer, gave me positive things, and then something else happens and like, oh, no, flat tire. Oh, God, don't you love me? Come on, what happened? You know, a flat tire, I'm going to miss everything, and I really want to do this. We're selfish people. But we need to understand that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is going to keep his word. He doesn't change. God is a saint, and that is a blessing because we change all the time. Think about how our relationships has changed. In our life, you know, you start out as a little baby, can't do anything, and your parents love you, even though all you do is poop, pee, cry. You know, you can't do anything. You're helpless. And then you grow up, you know, and then you start messing up the house, and then, you know, you, you go to school, become an adult, and pretty soon, you know, the cycle of life, then you're taking care of your parents, you know, you lose your child, you have no hair, you're, you know, you're, you're an older adult, you lose your hair, you know, yeah, you know, there's a lot of similarities, but also you're trying to take care of the others and that cycle and under, understanding though, that our theology, what we believe, when we're confronted with difficult circumstances throughout our lives, God has not changed. We're the ones who change. And sometimes we have to remember that God was faithful in this situation God is faithful in this situation, and he will be faithful in a future situation. But so quickly, we look at our circumstances. We look at other people who often aren't the best example. And it's important for us to remember that our theology, our true beliefs, to determine our actions all the time. See, while we can mourn, cry, be, feel emotionally pained and hurt, we must not allow our minds to believe that God is unfair or unloving. God, who delivered these individuals in the Old Testament, he always kept a remnant. They were in exile. The nation of Israel went to exile. Guess what? He brought them back. And he continues to preserve. And even as we look at present day, I mean, if I were an Israeli and thinking about what is going on with all the Palestinian conflict, and looking at that. But we know that in the end, guess what? God's truths are permanent. And what will occur someday? But as looking as an outsider, because I obviously am not Jewish or Hebrew in background. As the Bible talks about Gentile. Or the Old Testament barbarian. You know, probably my wife thinks I'm barbarian. But what occurs is that 
generic term for someone who is not a Jewish, it is important for us to remember that God's promises are still given to the nation um, of, that were given to the nation of Israel. Guess what? The truths and promises that are given to believers that someday we will be with him and that he will not forsake his promises. And our biblical doctrines must be cemented in our hearts and lives and that will be our stable foundation in the storms of life. I'll be honest. While I would never want to go through COVID again, you know, it really caused people to stand up and say, what do I believe? And I think even in the future, there will be a time coming where we're going to have to find out what do we believe and why when maybe the government takes away some of our spiritual liberties and freedom. In other countries, um, in Russia and China, where there has been severe persecution, you know, they've had this centuries, if you will, even of being persecuted for their faith. Here in our, our country, we haven't had that. And I would encourage you, to, while we have those freedoms, to use those freedoms, share with others, you know, get to know others, and to live out those truths that we believe. And when things are difficult, when we mess up, you know, just admit it and, you know, cry out to God, say, I'm sorry, and move on. When things go well, you know, it's a testimony of Christ living in our lives. When we go through a hardship and we, in human terms, successfully come through and don't uh, fall by the wayside, we can thank God and praise him that we were given the strength. And God is faithful. And he will always be faithful to us. And even as next week as it comes about, you know, that famous verse, let no temptation take in but such is common to man. But with the temptation, permit and allow a way that you may be able to bear it. And we'll see that in a little bit. But here, that misrepresentation, don't misrepresent God. Because I'll be honest, there's a lot of churches, a lot of Christians who call themselves Christians who misrepresent God. You hear it on Christian radio all the time, you know, oh, thank the Lord, God always answers our prayers in the positive. But we always say, oh yeah, God, we want God to answer our prayers based upon our own desires. All things work together for good. Not for the good of Wayne, but for the good of God. And it's important that we understand that what he sees as good, we have to call good too, even if it hurts, even if it isn't good in our own life. Sometimes we think, oh, why does that person have cancer, illness, sickness? Why have they died? That's not fair, God. You've taken them away from me. Maybe they were a spiritual leader. Maybe they were someone who helped you. And we think, is God still good? God is good all the time. And that's hard to say because there's times where we don't feel very happy or emotional. We're emotional beings. So that's why it's important as we look at this passage, the complaining, don't test the Lord, sexual immorality, the unrestrained excess. If God is the priority in your life, we talk about New Testament, the preeminence of Christ, as Paul talks about in other passages. And those Biblical doctrines must be cemented in our mind. That's why we teach, we want you to understand what does the Bible say? Because these facts, these truths will hold you when you're going through the storms of life, when everything around you is crashing, when you think, I can't do anything. Even as it talks about in Romans, say, talking about praying, when the, the Holy Spirit makes intercessions when we can't pray. There's times maybe when you're in so much pain or so mentally distraught that you're like, I can't even communicate, God, help me. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And it's important as we look at this, in this, the heart's motivation is as important as our actions. And in conclusion, 
as we look at just in chapter, um, verse 11, which kind of repeats from verse 1. Let me just read it again in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, More brother, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers um, were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And it goes down in verse 11. It says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. As you continue to face difficulty, and Paul knew that they were going to face difficulty and trial, especially with the government, uh, the Romans, with even dealing with all of there, it was paganism and some of the other religions. But humanly speaking, these were written as an example also to us and a warning. We need to pay attention be careful not to repeat or duplicate the mistakes of those in the past. And what I appreciate about the Bible is it sh- the Bible shows the mistakes of those individuals as a lesson, but also those who were faithful. And as we think about Daniel, Job, those were stalwarts as we think about it. Even Moses, the meekness to deal with all those people. I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been sane trying to lead all those people. But we learn about their mistakes, but we learn about their, the benefits. But here... Don't, Paul says, don't be like those who died. Be aware, because those individuals were getting close, and some of them were acting in the same manners. And our feelings and emotions must never be placed as a greater authority of measuring God's actions. So just remember that this morning. Our feelings and act, emotions must never be placed as a greater authority of measuring God's actions or who God is. And that's what I'll close with. Just remember so hold fast to the truths that you learn about God. That's why theology, who, who God is, it's not just some cold truths. It's about a personal God who you can know on a personal level. That same God who created the universe, the same God who, de- who parted the Red Sea, is the same God who sent Jesus Christ and for us to be able to benefit by seeing his humanity. And for us, what happens is we needed that because, first of all, to understand the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. That sacrificial love, we don't understand that. But through his plan to be able to possess eternal life, a sinful people can have a personal relationship with the holy God. That is inexplainable to me because we are sinful and guess what we still commit sins but yet God still loves us God cares about us and someday because of what Jesus Christ did we will have a home in heaven so let me encourage you this morning keep moving on keep growing keep learning about who God is because he is knowable it's not just like oh I can't know God you can know him you can trust him he has a plan and purpose for your life and someday he will call us home whether it be through through death or through rapture, where they talk about be taken off this earth. But remember that God is faithful. He will keep his promises. And be aware because there are those who, who haven't been faithful, haven't followed after Christ. Don't be like those. Don't pay attention to them. There's some who say, well, I'm a Christian, and they've fallen by the side, just like those in the wilderness. But they follow them in their actions, but not their heart. 
hopefully we will follow and be faithful and follow Christ with our hearts completely. Shall we pray?